Now, you may not be used to hearing me in your conservative political commentary, but I, I want you to hear me out. As a president who was deeply ensconced in the celebrity culture, I understand when a cultural shift is occurring. I knew this podcast would be the podcast of the future, the number one conservative podcast in the nation in no time at all, and on a completely unrelated note, better than Cassie and Brad's podcast. Now, with me as your new host, nothing's going to change, except maybe everything. Uh, instead of, for example, the lone conservative, uh, this new podcast name is going to be the Obama Hour. It's very original, and I thought of that name myself. Uh, so let's get into the first issue of the day. I had you guys going there. It's not Obama. It's just me, Eric. You guys are so gullible. <laughs> but in all seriousness, welcome back to the Lone Conservative, the best podcast at Lone Conservative, and as Mr. Obama, a.k.a. me, so kindly said, better than Cassie and Brad's hot takes. Now, if Cassie's listening, thank you so much for this podcast. I'm really sorry. I'm just saying it so I can see him funny. If she's not listening, yeah, my, my, my podcast is better. Before we start today, I do want to say that if my voice kind of goes out at all, or I go into a coughing fit, or I, I just, you know, I cough, you hear me swigging something, I do apologize profusely for that, if that annoys you. Just a little background, and then we'll get into this, I swear. I have a really bad, I don't know what to call it, it's just my throat is in severe pain. I know it's not a virus, or, or that like a strep throat or anything, my throat is just in severe pain. When I talk normally, it sounds like a whisper. And this is taking, like, the volume that I'm speaking at right now, which is actually kind of quieter than what I usually do, which is, I know, absurd, because I'm already so loud right now and obnoxious. <laughs> but the volume I'm speaking at right now, it, 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 it's very straining. So just wanted to, to put that out there uh, and make you all aware. Now, let's just jump right into the topic today, because there's really no easy way to begin addressing it. Today, the podcast, you know, normally we're going to be discussing like two or three or four issues in a podcast, and today I am going to be unveiling a new segment, which I hope lightens it up at the end, but most of the podcast today is going to be covering the Kavanaugh accusations. Now, I've stayed quiet on the Kavanaugh accusations for a little while, because I take accusations of sexual assault against anyone, but especially public officials, and especially against those who are going to be put in arguably the most prestigious position, not politically popular, but prestigious position that exists in the country's culture today. I take those accusations very seriously. And a lot of people jump in, it, it's it, left and right, a lot of people jump in either wholeheartedly denying these allegations are true, like or not, not the specific ones against Hat Kavanaugh, but whenever allegations against a political official come out. People on the right jump in, some do, and say immediately that they're not true, they must be a political smear, and, sometimes, and people on the left jump in and say, this, these allegations must be true, we believe all women. And then depending on how it goes, the people who jump in it, like dumb butts Feet first, they, they end up looking stupid. Not just looking stupid, but they end up looking insensitive and gross and 
usually it, it results in them just doubling down. I'm not one of those people, so I'm taking my time. And I think at this point, we have enough information where I can succinctly talk about this and give my thoughts on it. Now, as developments come forward, as I'm sure they will, because Ford, Kavanaugh's initial accuser, has agreed to speak to the Judicial Committee, I believe this Thursday, but I don't think that's set in stone, things may change. New developments may come, and my opinion may change. We'll see, okay? So for anyone who is listening who may want to hold my opinions today against me in the future, know that I am very open to changing my opinion as new evidence is put forward or as more compelling testimony is put forward. So to just jump right into this today. And by the way, just because this is only the second episode, so my style really hasn't been established yet, I like to go over the basic facts of the, the situation before I delve in to analyze it because I understand there may be people listening. I mean, if you haven't heard about this by now, and you're listening to a political podcast, get out of politics. You should not be listening, to, because it, if you haven't heard about it by now, you are only listening to me. And if you're only listening to me for your political, I don't know, in, intake, <laughs> you need to get involved in politics more or get out. But uh, how I like to do things is I like to break down the situation, break down the facts, what we know for sure about the situation, and then analyze it. So, especially because, I, like I said, I know there's probably people who are watching that don't, you know, like politics that much or don't usually delve that deep into politics. So, let's just jump right into this today. So, this has been going on, the, the allegations of, of sexual assault. And yes, it is sexual assault. I have seen some awful, god-awful takes from people on the right on Twitter. That and, and on social media, and I've even heard it in interviews and podcasts, that, oh, if this happened, it was just groping. It was just groping. What does this matter? No. It was a, if this happened, and I, I'm, I'll give my opinion on whether I think it did or not later, but if this did happen, it was a full-on rape attempt. Don't let your partisanness blind you to that. If this did indeed happen exactly as Ford described it, it is an attempt at rape. So we'll go over what Ford alleged. So to kind of give some background on this information, it was looking as if Kavanaugh was going to be confirmed without any major drama. I mean, of course, there was Democratic stalling. There were Democrats calling Trump a fascist. There were Democrats saying that Kavanaugh was a threat to women's rights and human rights and workers' rights. But what else is new? <laughs> what else is new? There were... Leftists at Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing protesting and screaming and interrupting the whole process. But overall, it looked as if the vote was going to go off and Kavanaugh, whether by a slim, you know, whether by like a majority of 51 to 49 or a slim vote, like 50 to 50 and then Pence votes, it looked as if Kavanaugh was going to be confirmed without much drama. And then one day, Senator Feinstein the best senator in the world, the one who truly cares about sexual assault allegations, the one who takes them so seriously that she sits on information of a possible sexual assault for two months and refuses to address it when the FBI is doing their background check on Kavanaugh during Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings. No, she refuses to address it until after all of that is over and voting is about to begin. That's just how much she cares, guys. Anyways, Feinstein tweets out, Quote, I have received information from an individual concerning the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. 
That individual strongly requested confidentiality, declined to come forward, or press the matter further, and I have honored that decision. I have, however, referred the matter to federal investigative authorities. So, instantly, people were like, okay, this sounds serious. Like, they were like, it's vague, it's possibly a political hit job, but if Feinstein is referring this to federal investigative authorities, this sounds serious. Well, guess what? Feinstein referred this to the FBI, and the FBI declined to follow up on it because there's no way they can investigate this, and we'll get into that a little later. But eventually, it came out that this was an alleged an allegation of sexual assault and attempted rape against Brett Kavanaugh. By some, the person was still anonymous, but essentially her letter to, to Feinstein was being released all over the press. A lot of names of witnesses were redacted, but it, it went into detail about what the allegations were. And the allegations were that at a party when she was 15 years old and in high school and Kavanaugh was 17, there was a point where a drunken Kavanaugh and a drunken Mark Judge got her alone in a bedroom. And when they got her alone in this bedroom, she claimed that Kavanaugh pinned her to the bed, started groping her, fondling her, trying to take off her clothes, and when she attempted to scream, he and Judge turned up the music in the room, and Kavanaugh put his hand over her mouth so as to not allow people to hear her screams. She said the only way, she, she said, by the way, that she thought Kavanaugh might kill her in, in this situation uh, and the only way she ended up getting away was a drunken Mark Judge jumping on the bed on top of Kavanaugh and on top of Ford, causing everyone to go tumbling, and in that confusion, she was able to get out of the bedroom and, you know, lock herself in a bathroom. There are some concerning details about this story, about this story, aside from the allegation which is in in and of itself disturbing. Number one, this happened in 1982. So it's it's around 38 years later. And by the way, I'm not one of those people who's about to say, oh, who cares, it was 38 years ago, he was just a kid. I'm saying, in 38 years, memory can do a lot of things. Memory overall is very unreliable. It can change from just a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years after an incident. If there are holes in your memory about an incident, your mind can start filling them in. You can start convincing yourself things happened that didn't actually happen. But it's, it's been so long that Ford says her memory is hazy. She can't remember. And here's why people are so dumbfounded about these accusations. Here's why people are saying that these accusations are, are likely not credible. She can't remember when this happened. She can't remember where the party was whose house the party was at, or the address of the house. So there's literally, other than the witnesses, other than the witnesses she has named were present at the, at the time of the incident, like at this party, there's no way to corroborate what she is saying. And there's even more concern, because every single witness she has named has, has been interviewed at this point, has given a statement. Okay, so there were, there were four people who were involved, who were there, I should say. Two were involved that she named. So here are the people that she named. She named Brett Kavanaugh. She named Mark Judge. She named Leland Ingram, Ingram Kaiser. And she named Patrick J. Smith. Obviously, Kavanaugh, and this is one of the things that was, that was so good about Kavanaugh's response, the instant this allegation came out. 
Not, not even when Ford's face was put to it. Just the instant the allegation came out, the anonymous allegation, he was he confidently said, he's like, I did not do this at any time, at any place, any time. I said any time twice. But, and he, he, he said he would submit himself to questions before the Judicial Committee once, uh, once again. But all the witnesses Ford has named, Mark Judge, Kavanaugh, both say that they deny ever being involved in the incident or even being at a party around the time that she was saying. The other two witnesses, Leland Ingham Kaiser, who is a friend, a longtime friend of Ford's, said that she thought Ford's allegations were credible, somehow, but she herself did not remember ever being at a party with you know, Ford and Kavanaugh, or where Kavanaugh was present, she didn't know Kavanaugh. And Patrick Smith said the same exact thing. He does not recall being at a party of this nature. He does not recall being at a party with Kavanaugh. So now, we don't just not have a time. We don't just lack a place, an address, a general vic- we have a general vicinity. That's all we have. Because aside from that little bit of information and the fact that it happened in 1982, every single person, every single one, doesn't matter whether they think she's telling the truth or not, like uh, Leland Ingham Kaiser does, in relation to the actual incident, no witness she has named remembers it happening. The fact that also Kavanaugh, and this is the thing, I understand, listen, I'm going to say this first. Conservatives are not immune to extreme bias because of partisanship. We've done it. We've suffered from that before. But Democrats are so hell-bent, and the left is so hell-bent on Kavanaugh not being confirmed, they are willing to ruin a, according to many, 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 many people, good man's life, because this, this kind of allegation would disqualify him from being on the Supreme Court. He'd likely be taken off the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. His career would be over forever. His reputation, and possibly his family's reputation, forever permanently stained. They are willing to do this to a man. Based on an allegation from a woman who can hardly remember anything other than some details about the general incident, where witnesses, there's no witnesses, no location, no place to investigate. They want the FBI to look into this. What is their, listen, even if the FBI had jurisdiction over this, which they didn't, they already did their background check on Kavanaugh. Feinstein has been sitting on this information. This is something I also left out. She has been sitting on this information since July. She found out about all of this in July. And she doesn't present it until the 11th hour. She doesn't present it until all the background checks are over, until all opportunities she had to question Kavanaugh on this stuff are through, under oath, might I add. So if he's lying, they have, again, just, they have, not only would they have, you know, a, a, a standing to not let him on the Supreme Court just for doing the, the things that Ford accused him of alone, but he'd also have committed perjury. He was under oath. The fact that she released this so late. It shows, I don't care what you say, it shows she does not care about the allegation. 
It shows she does not take this allegation seriously. Because she even said in an interview, well, I can't confirm that everything's true. It's just my job to put it out there. If you don't know everything's true, if, if you can't even stand by the credibility of the accuser, why would you put this forward? Or why wouldn't you put it forward earlier so we would have more time to vet this? People are saying, oh, why are the Republicans rushing to confirm Kavanaugh? Well, number one, they are obviously rushing because they want to get him confirmed before the midterms when likely they're going to lose House seats and Senate seats. But they're saying, why are you rushing this? Why, did, why are you accepting that Feinstein presented this at the 11th hour? Whether these allegations are true or not, the way this has been handled by the Democrats, and Feinstein in particular, is absolutely, positively disgusting. It's disgusting, it's gross, it's... Uh, it, it, people talk about false allegations damaging the Me Too movement all the time. They talk about things that some women do, that some celebrities do, that damages the Me Too movement. Using, clearly, whether, again, whether it's true or false... Using these allegations as clearly not just not not because you care about the allegations, but as a political club to cripple your opponents with, that damages the Me Too movement. Allegations of sexual assault should be brought forward and presented as a concern because it is morally wrong, because it is morally unjust, because it is one of, if not the worst thing you can do to a person. It shouldn't be presented for merely political gain. <clears throat> and listen, I'm not in Feinstein's head. I'm not a psychic. I'm not Professor X. I'm not a mind reader. But you tell me why she sat on this information for so long. You tell me why she, never, why she didn't present this as a concern until everything was said and done. You tell me. Because honestly, aside from using this as a political club, I'm lost. I'm lost as to why she would present it in the way she did. And this isn't saying anything about Ford. So I want to get into what, what I think about these allegations. I think, I genuinely think, that Ford is sincere. I do not think she is, is just using this allegation. I don't think she is, is accusing Kavanaugh of sexual assault for political gains. Sadly, that's what Feinstein is using her for. But I don't think that's what Ford is doing. That may be an unpopular opinion. I don't know. I think she is genuine. I think something happened to her at some point. I think she was sexually assaulted at some point. I don't think it was by Kavanaugh. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So as I said, and, and by the way, the reason why I think this happened was she went to a couple's, in, in couples therapy in 2012. She said this happened. And in an individual therapy session years earlier, she describes a, quote, attempted rape attempt. This, no one knew years ago that Kavanaugh was going to be on the Supreme Court or that Kavanaugh was going to be up for being on the Supreme Court. He was, yes, he was a prestigious judge, but no one likely suspected it. So this isn't some long game. This is a woman who clearly has her scars, who clearly has her trauma, and who we should honestly feel sympathy for. And though I think she's sincere, I don't think she is credible. And what I mean by that is, listen, she could be very well be telling the truth, but again, there's no evidence to substantiate her claims. There just isn't. But the reason why I think she's being sincere, the reason why, aside from the therapy stuff, the reason why I think something happened and I don't think it's Kavanaugh. Number one, it seems, maybe I'm wrong, and if I'm wrong, I apologize, but it seems as if she was drunk that night. 
It seems as if she was also drunk. And I'm not, again, I'm not about to have one of those trash takes where someone says, they were both just drunk kids, man. It's what, it's what guys do, man. No. But when you're drunk, very drunk, let's be honest, your memories become hazy. Drunken memories from 38 years later are even more unreliable. So it's, it's very possible that she has gaps in her memory that are being filled by the fact that Kavanaugh is, being, is on the national stage. It's possible she's being gaslit by someone. It's po- it's, she's definitely, again, regardless of whether these accusations are true or not, she's clearly being used by Feinstein. I feel genuine pity for Ford. I feel genuine sympathy for her. Because I'm sure something happened. I'm sure this woman has her scars. I'm just not convinced. I do not think that there is enough evidence to say that it is Kavanaugh. Especially because Kavanaugh doesn't have a reputation of things like this. Kavanaugh, for the most part, has a clean record. Within a day after this, inform- after this allegation came forward, 65 women who went to school with Kavanaugh wrote essentially signed a letter saying that when they went to Kavanaugh uh, went to school with Kavanaugh when they interacted with Kavanaugh I should say in high school he showed class he showed character what was described by Ford did not sound like Kavanaugh drunk or sober at all and beyond that there usually is a pattern with rapists like this because let's let's be honest the allegation by Ford in which Kavanaugh pins her down ropes her grinds up against her, tries to take off her clothes, covers her mouth so she can't scream. Drunk or not, that sounds like a truly, truly evil person. And you know what, again, there's people on the right who are saying this is just what guys do in high school if, if there are, if this is what it takes to get someone fired or to get someone, or, or to make it so someone can't hold a position, a prestigious position, then no one's gonna, no man is gonna hold a prestigious position. The hell are you talking about? What like what the actual f are you talking about? I'm I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just a rarity here. But when I went to high school, I had my cru- fair share of crushes. But I never grinded up against a girl without her consent. I never covered her mouth so she couldn't scream. I never pinned her down so she couldn't move or turned up music so she couldn't so no one could hear her resistance. Like what the actual f is wrong? That is an attempted rape. Att- that that is attempted rape. Again, I don't think, I'm not convinced Kavanaugh did it, but what she's describing is attempted rape, and you trying to mitigate that into, oh, it was just groping. Oh, it's just a guy being a guy. Oh, it's just a teenage boy being a teenage boy. No, that's wrong. But as I was saying, people who show those tendencies, like the the malicious tendencies described by Ford, there's usually a pattern. They don't just, it's not just a one-and-done thing. It's not just they get drunk once, they try to rape a girl, and then, up, oh, it never happens again. Rapists and attempted rapists have a pattern. It's very clear. Look at all the celebrities who have been accused of rape and sexual assault and sexual harassment over the years. Multiple women come forward to say that they did this to them. And aside from Ford's testimony, and one other accuser that literally just recently came forward, like it's breaking news, no one else has come forward against Kavanaugh. And listen, I am... I. I the second accuser, totally willing to say that she is uncompelling and that not only is it not credible, the New York Post reported on this. They did a terrible job. There's no, there's literally no corroboration. She didn't even, at least with Ford, in her, you know, D 
detail-lacking story, at least she was able to say with confidence that it was Kavanaugh who did it to her. And the, the, this new accuser can't even say that she saw that it was Kavanaugh. But we'll, we'll get on to it. But essentially, there are no new other accusers against Kavanaugh. There aren't multiple women flooding forward. And with Kavanaugh's long, long, long career in politics, you would think that if he were a serial rapist, a serial sexual harasser and assaulter, more women would be coming forward. So there, there's just a pattern here that's missing. And beyond that, Kavanaugh has done a very good job. And we'll get on to the second accusation in a bit. I know we've been spending a lot of time on Ford, but it requires that time. But there, Kavanaugh has been very, very good in dealing with these accusations. Not only, like I said earlier, in saying that he would be willing to go under oath, in saying that he would be willing to testify that this never happened immediately, regardless of who said it or, or, or when it happened, because he never did anything like that. According to Ryan Saavedra, I don't know how to pronounce his name, I probably butchered it, Brett Kavanaugh has calendars from 1982 that show he was out of town nearly the entire summer, which, again, is, is when this incident apparently happened. So the, Brett Kavanaugh, not only is he being compelling in how he's handling the situation, but he's also starting to present evidence that proves his innocence, which it, it's, it's sad that in the public, in the sphere of public opinion, it's guilty until proven innocent, but the, the person who's alleged to be the guilty party has to prove their innocence. It's not the other way around. It's not that you're presumed innocent until proven guilty in the sphere of public opinion. But let, let's move on to Kavanaugh's second accuser. So Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh's second accuser, this one, this incident, this alleged incident, comes from Kavanaugh's college days. So the person accusing Kavanaugh, the second alleged victim, is Deborah Ramirez. Deborah Ramirez says that Kavanaugh exposed himself to Ramirez during a drinking game in college. She says, quote, I remember a penis being in front of my face. I know that's not what I wanted, even in that state of mind. Ramirez said she pushed the person away, touching the penis in the process, and that when she looked up, you know, people were laughing, but when she looked up, Brett Kavanaugh was laughing, and he was doing a motion, like gyrating your hips like you do when you pull up your pants. Here's the thing about this story. It, this has been reported by The New Yorker, by the way. But here's the thing about this story. Ramirez doesn't even see Kavanaugh do what she says he does. All she sees is Kavanaugh standing up, making some motion. She never sees who did it. That is suspect. That's very suspect. The other thing that's, that's very, very suspect is that only one student, so the New York Post was unable to corroborate that this ever happened. Like, totally unable to. Only one student confirmed that this happened. And he was, number one, the guy who has confirmed it is remaining anonymous. So you, you can't even question him further. But he also wasn't even at the party. The guy who is saying that it definitely happened basically said, I wasn't there, but I heard it from a person who was there. That's not a reliable witness. That's not a reliable, like even the New York Post says, when, like when, even after they present that this guy, this random anonymous person says it happened, they, said that they say that they can't corroborate the incident. I mean, this is just absolutely ridiculous. 
And as of right now, the Post wasn't able to corroborate it, but six witnesses have come forward and stated, quote, We were the people closest to Brett Kavanaugh during his first year at Yale. He was a roommate to some of us, and we spent a great deal of time with him, including in the dorm where his incident allegedly took place. Some of us were also friends with Debbie Ramirez during and after her time at Yale. We can say with confidence that if the incident Debbie alleges ever occurred, we would have seen or heard about it, and we did not. The behavior she describes would be completely out of character for Brett. In addition, some of us knew Debbie long after Yale, and she never described this incident until Brett's Supreme Court nomination was pending. Editors from the New, York, the New Yorker contacted some of us because we are the people who would know the truth, and we told them that we never saw or heard about this. And I'm sorry, it wasn't the New York Post, it was the New Yorker, the most reliable publication. I'm sorry, I get them mixed up. But this was, uh, I, I mean, it was, it was written, by the way, by Ronan Farrow and Jane Mayer. So not only... And this is the other thing that's really, really despicable. Really despicable about this story. It's clear that it, this, is, this, this whole thing, this whole story is a smear. Because as the, me the media does what the media does, they buried this statement, they buried the fact that they can't corroborate it at the very bottom of the story. Well, I shouldn't say at the very bottom, because there's more, as, there's more uh, writing after this. But it's basically just a recap of events, like from, from Kavanaugh's confirmation. But they bury this thing deep in the story. That's absolutely, if you can't corroborate an event, don't even report on it. That's, that's so idiotic. I think, here, here, here's, here's my, I have an accusation to make, in all honesty. Ronan Farrow mooned me when I was in third grade. He mooned me. Now, there's no one who can corroborate this. You know, I, but there were people there, but no one there can corroborate this. But Ronan Farrow did it. And because I'm saying that Ronan Farrow definitely mooned me, you have to believe that he mooned me. See how ridiculous this is? You can't just take a person who's coming out and making an accusation. And not only is she just making an accusation that's uncorroborated, and again, everyone who was involved, every person who she said was involved in the incident denies it. Kavanaugh, again, instantly came out and said, this isn't true, I deny it, I will, I'll testify about it. And here's how despicable this story is. I'm going to go even further. This New Yorker story is so despicable that, you know, they can't corroborate that Brett Kavanaugh did this. They can't corroborate that this event ever happened. But then after they basically say they can't corroborate it, after presenting that quote from the six witnesses, they go on to try and make up for the fact that they can't corroborate it because, you know, there was an atmosphere at Yale of alcohol-fueled parties that this thing was the norm. That's, they try to go on to justify this allegation or the, the credibility of this accusation by saying, well, you know what, even though no one can vouch for it, no one can corroborate it, there, Ramirez has people who are in her class that think she's telling the truth, Again, these, these people weren't there. They weren't involved in the incident. They weren't anywhere near the incident when it happened. But they think she's telling the truth. And you know, this was just... The, Yale had this sort of alcohol-fueled atmosphere at the time. What other... What... I, I'm sorry, what other bullcrap? You can't corroborate a story. You just take a random allegation that, by the way... By the way, there's, there's another thing that I want to state. And it's, it's a quote from this story that I find very, very shocking. 
and not just shocking, but journalistically irresponsible. Here's what the, I'm, I'm just going to read this. Quote, in her initial conversations with the New Yorker, she was reluctant to characterize Kavanaugh's role in the alleged incident with certainty. After six days of carefully assessing her memories and consulting with her attorney, Ramirez said that she felt confident enough of her real recollections to say that she remembers Kavanaugh had exposed himself at a drunken dormitory party, thrust his penis in her face, and caused her to touch it without her consent as she pushed him away. Number one, as I said before, she did not see, according to her own testimony, she did not see Kavanaugh actually do it. She just saw a penis in her face, she pushed it away, and then... After a little while of looking up, she saw Kavanaugh laughing, moving his hips, an emotion that she claims is a motion you make when you pull up your pants. She didn't, so she can't confirm that she saw him with certainty doing it. But also, I understand. I understand these events can be traumatic. I understand, again, I've had friends who have been sexually assaulted, sexually harassed. I get it. And while I, I, when I say I get it, I, I, mean, I don't personally, I've never experienced that stuff, but I get how hard it can be for people. I've seen it. But you cannot honestly tell me, you can't, that after 35 years, she can't come to terms with this memory. After 35 years, she can't remember this memory clearly. But after just six days of reflection, after 35 years of, of, of apparent trauma, of apparent... I don't know, blocking this thing from her mind. After six mere days of reflection, oh, and talking to a lawyer, she remembers it all magically and with certainty that this was Kavanaugh. No. No. The fact that she, number one, couldn't remember it until the last six days. Number two, again, no one can corroborate this. And number three, the facts, this is how you know the story is flimsy. This is really how you know the story is flimsy. As I said before, the New Yorker tries to justify the lack of corroboration in this story by saying, oh, this was just a part of the culture at Yale at the time. Oh, some of Ramirez's classmates think that she's credible. It doesn't matter what they think. If they can't corroborate what happened, then they can't corroborate what happened. It doesn't add credibility. Saying that, oh, she's honest, she has integrity, I'm sure this is credible. It doesn't add anything. That's just an excuse to publish an uncorroborated account, an uncorroborated allegation for political purposes and because you want clicks. That's not journalism, that's despicable. That's utterly despicable. The, this is obviously, again, I, regardless of whether Ford's allegations are true or not, the fact that allegations of sexual assault and harassment are being mere, are merely being used as a political club because no one no one on the left is approaching this honestly. No one on the left is approaching the, at, at, in terms of politicians. Okay, I'm sure there are a lot of normal people on the left who are genuinely concerned about these sexual assault allegations, who really care about the fact that someone who committed sexual assault would be put on the highest court in the land. But when I say the left, I mean the politicians. No politician involved in this on the left gives a crap about, about the morality of this situation. They only are interested in this allegation because it could be used as, as a club to wield against Kavanaugh. That's it. And that's, it's, that's becoming very clear that a lot of left-wing politicians and a lot of left-wing people in the mainstream media, that's all they really care about with this stuff. Not everyone, but a lot of them. And it's, it, 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 if, you, if you want to talk about things that hurt the Me Too movement, if you really want to talk about things that hurt the Me Too movement, 
then let's let's look at people using sexual assault allegations as a mere political club to ruin someone's life. Not because they're genuinely morally concerned about it, but just because it's politically expedient to use it. All right. That's, that was about 37 minutes. Dang. This, 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 this is going to be the longest episode in our <laughs> two-episode history. Um, but I, I wanted to move on. And again, I know, amazing transition. I just I had that epic rant. You know, someone better put that on YouTube. Eric Schaefer has epic rant. Destroys the libs. <laughs> but I just had that epic rant. And then I'm like, okay, let's move on. But I recently, I wanted to talk about this. I'm not going to spend that much time talking about it. But I recently volunteered for a Hurricane Florence relief effort in Laurenburg, North Carolina. Laurenburg is a relatively poor area. It, 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 they were hit hard. And there were a lot of people there who couldn't leave and they couldn't get help. And I, the North Carolina Federation of College Republicans, which I'm a part of, and the North Carolina College Democrats, we got together in a bipartisan effort to help these people, to distribute food, to distribute resources. And we even actually cleared some trees from the road. I, I felt like He-Man. <laughs> But it was, I, I wanted to talk about this today because after, after bashing the left so much, there are good people. There are a bevy of good people, okay? Don't let the politicians, don't let the tyrannical SJW types, don't let the mainstream, the slimy mainstream media people be your characterization of the left wing. And now while I deeply disagree with their philosophy. And while I find progressivism dangerous to an extent, these people were good people. They were extremely good people. And it just reminded me that despite all of this heated political, despite this heated political climate, despite the fact that Americans are hating Americans merely for their political beliefs, it was good to get together with people who didn't think like me, and to civilly discuss issues, to help people, to help our common man. That was very, it was, it was just an enlightening experience. Because I never held the perception that, oh my God, everyone on the left is a tyrant, they're all bad. But I did hold the perception that there wasn't much bipartisanship anymore that there wasn't much we could do to get the left and the right to come together because they're just moving further and further apart. But when it comes to helping people, when it comes to aiding those in urgent need, it was very nice to work with the college Democrats. I can safely, I mean, they, they were all amazing, I'm not kidding, amazing, amazing people. And I'm glad I can call a lot of them friends after that day. It was a very nice thing to have done. And it was, it was, I was called because the, the president of the CDNC was there, and the College Democrats of North Carolina. And I don't want to say his name because I don't know how comfortable he'd be with me saying his name, but he was, he's a class act. He's an excellent guy. We talked about politics. We talked about Trump's election. It was just a very enlightening conversation. And it, it was, it was, he was so civil. He was so, I, I hate to sound like a sissy, but he was so sweet. <laughs> He was so sweet. They were all so kind. And he called me afterwards and he basically said that he really appreciated me coming out to his hometown 
and helping them out. And he appreciated that I stuck with them all day, worked with them all day, and that I had a friend in the CDNC, and that if I ever needed anything, I'd give him a call and he'd see what he could do. I know I'm sounding kind of repetitive in this segment, but it's just because don't forget that because a bunch of left-wing politicians or some left-wing media types are giving off a bad example, that most of your fellow Americans, most people on the left, are good people. Don't allow yourself, because of partisan political battles that will inevitably become heated and, and just, just uncivil, don't allow that to taint your overall perception of a lot of your fellow Americans. Because despite the fact that we disagree, and I know a lot of you may disagree with me on this, but despite the fact that we may disagree with each other on fundamental principles, we have to understand that they're coming from a place of good faith. Most people. That they're coming from a place of, they may be wrong, you think, but they're coming from a place where they do want the best for the people of this country. Even if you think they're misguided in that. And that they are genuinely good people. We can't forget that in these really bitter partisan times. That Again, I was never a proponent of, oh my god, everyone on the left is evil and vile. But, it, it was just a nice reminder that we're all Americans, and at the end of the day, we do all want what's best for this country. Most of us do. You know, there's, there's people on the left who don't, who are so extreme, they really don't. They hate America. They hate what it stands for. There's people, there's reactionaries on the right that don't like that, that, that are, that are you know, more the European right, they, they would be considered, but they're still considered right-wing, who are, 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 are fascists, who are white supremacists. There's bad people on both sides, but we can't allow that to taint the general perception of our fellow Americans. And that's, that's I wanted to go over that today. All right, so we're running out of time today. I wanted to go over a new segment, but we're at 43 minutes at this point, And, you know, I wouldn't, my voice is killing me. And I wouldn't be able to give this new segment justice, especially since we don't have the jingle for it yet. Um, but... It will be coming in the next episode. The next episode is next Monday, as always. And until then, have a wonderful week. Stay safe. God bless.